Welcome back to the Grugamesh Podcast, still the one and only place for anime discussion on the internet. Please don't question that. Uh, it's been a while at the time of this recording, but I'm hoping to get back to this because I do love doing this silly little show and I'm looking to make time for it. Uh, my co-host is currently dealing with, you know, real life stuff like adults, I know, losers. And uh, so I'll be pulling in some guests to help me dive deep into some Japanimation for your enjoyment. Dear God, I hope. So to get things on track, here's a brand new episode, and I didn't actually expect to be doing this, but I'm very grateful. I had the privilege of sitting down and talking with a personal hero of mine, uh, Jake Young from the Wizard and the Bruiser podcast. It's a nerd history podcast that is the definitive inspiration for Garugamesh. Everything I do on this show, my balance of comedy and retrospective opinion is heavily based on what Jake and Holden did with their show oh so many years ago. And it was a pleasure sitting down and discussing Gainax's perfect, funny, horny little OVA. And I hope you enjoy this very chaotic yet hopefully informative discussion between two very, very passionate weebs. Thank you, and we hope to be back soon. I love sushi, I love Japan. My social life has hit the fan. All I have is anime, so I guess there's just one thing to say. Gurugamesh, my life's a mess. My figure collection is racking up debt. My wife has left, my house is gone. Time to get my butt to Sakura Con. Gurugamesh. I am now recording if you want to clap in or something. All right, short. Three, two, one. Footy footy. Why don't you kiss off? <laughs> but I don't shoot and start. <laughs> like, uh, the only good thing about watching the Tulikuli sequels is I get to listen to more Pillows music. That's been my philosophy it's, today. Uh, it was a relief when I was looking for, like, uh, Pillows music, and it turns out, like, their their greatest hits were all used in Fully Cooly. <laughs> that ba- yeah, basically, like that they, they released an album called Fool on Cool in about 2018 when the new series were coming out, which is literally just uh, here's all the ones you made AMVs to in the mid 2000s. <laughs> so so I so Fully Fully Cooly, uh, you know, it it, it all kind of makes sense. Uh, you know, Gainax, the the otaku's that could a golden age mm-hmm. anime. Uh, elevates themselves to the new modern era by taking everything they've loved and endured and deconstructing the shit out of it. Evangelion massive hit, Hideaki Anu does a big boohoo and that only makes it even more legendary. And in the wreckage Mm, of that, in the wreckage of all that, they're like, all right, now what? (laughs) Sort of. So essentially, I agree with you on a lot of the cases, but I've I've got a bit of a thesis. The truth is, being the Gynax head that I am, I get into a lot of shall we say, friendly fights mm-hmm. with a lot of people I know about this. So ultimately, my thesis on Fooly Cooly is it was, it's kind of the natural end point of 20th century Gynax. Mm-hmm. Because when you look at how they started their OVA people at heart, like they, they literally started with, what if we made the coolest music video ever made mm-hmm. that just obliterates copyright and they kind of just kept going from there because what I'm going to sort of break down of all of my notes and what is really interesting to observe is the fact that because, you know, American anime fandom or Western anime fandom can be a bit fucking in terms of details because of what we get and what we don't get. 
um, there's this sort of idea that, uh, you know, Gynax jumps straight from Fully Cooley to Evangelion, but there is a lot of shit in between that, and it's really interesting to see the stuff in between that, because it gives even more context to where it ends up and Ooh. why it is the way it is. Okay. I'm, I'm, you got me. This is, this is, <laughs> I'm, I'm hooked. Okay, so, um, a brief whole thing on my sort of, like, thesis of Gynax. So essentially, um... Uh, uh, Gynax as a company never should have worked <laughs> just 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 ever and I'm not just talking about what well, all these crazy wackos are doing sort of anime it's the fact that they were managed by people who were massively in debt and gotten so much fucking scandalous shit it is a miracle that the company made it past Royal Space Force mm -hmm. and the thing is is the fact that Gynax was a constantly barely breaking even company mm -hmm. like if you look at their pre-ava put out the most successful thing was gunbuster like an ova that was made directly towards the targeted audience of sci-fi and mecha fans in the late 80s when the economy was booming when the ova scene was booming and you could do kind of whatever you want because you don't need to rely on advertisers you can sell directly to japanese video shops and what you're selling is uh space short shorts Yes, yeah, what you're selling is uh, Top Gun in Space, Space Shore Shorts, and some of the coolest science fiction you'll ever see animated ever. Arno's best work, fight me internet. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, but Royal Space Force, great movie, C colossal failure. Um, <laughs> Nadia, Nadia's Secret of Blue Water, kind of neat little experiment. H Miyazaki fucks off, Arno gets depressed, massive <laughs> failure. And... Just everything Gynax did up until then was either like either cancelled or was scaled back significantly. Otaku no video kind of did okay, but it's very much a kind of sort of very meta work that was never going to make them that much money. Mm -hmm. So Evangelion comes along, and my whole bit about Evangelion is um, the most significant thing that Ava does, in my opinion, is the fact it was on television. Now, as as a veteran mecha head such as myself. Well, veteran is a subject no, term. No, you I served in the super robot week. wars. I, I understand. <laughs> yes, there we go. You know, my hand burns uh, red with the power <laughs> of justice. So, yeah, the most significant thing about Ava isn't the fact that it does anything special with robots, because in my opinion, it, it really kind of doesn't. That's not its appeal. It's the fact that it was on TV, because it was available to a whole new generation of children and young adults who didn't really get a choice on what was, you know, in front of them. You Probably their parents' cable package or whatever was on TV. Like, you know, this kind of stuff was everywhere in the 80s, but you actually had to go out and buy $60 equivalent tapes for two episodes. And when the economy literally shit the bed in the early 90s, that's not an option for the average Japanese teenager and young person. Mm -hmm. So it's the fact that it proved itself on TV despite having the worst production schedule possibly Gynax has ever done. And that's saying something considering Nadia fucked the company. You mean um, a worse production schedule, like they just couldn't stick to the schedule or the schedule as uh, demanded of them was too brutal? Uh, long story short, um, the f one of the main reasons that Ava ends like it does is the fact they had to scrap a whole episode's worth of material because of the... Um, sarin gas attacks oh. that happened in japan they had a plot point that mimicked it almost exactly and they were like we can't put this on television mm -hmm. shit and so like a whole bunch of sort of mismanaged production schedule and you can you can see frames from eue 
in the last two uh, episodes of Ava. They were always going to end it the way they were going to end it, just mm-hmm. probably on a TV scale. So it was kind of just a nightmare. It kind of like changed a lot during production, and it was a miracle it made any money. But it did make a lot of money, a hell of a lot of money. And it wasn't just that Gynax that noticed, it was, you know, people who were like, huh, the weird nerds are going to buy experimental shit if we put it on television. And so you see this kind of boom of original anime, like, you know, Shoji Kawamori pitches the vision of Escaflone, which kind of mm-hmm. airs the same year air Ava's out wrapping up. Ut, like, you know, Kunio Okawara, like the friggin', sorry, not Kunio Okawara, what the hell is his goddamn name? Utena, Utena guy. Friggin okay, Utena guy. Bonsoir Ikuhari, yeah, there we go. He's like, okay, so what if Sailor Moon was even more homosexual <laughs> and I go nuts with visuals? You serial experiments lane, like the ultimate sort of, you know, basement cyberpunk, mm-hmm. uh, Chiaki J. Kanata thing, Cowboy Bebop, like, and a bunch of other, like, manga adaptations that are sort of kind of just going nuts with visuals, like Trigun, uh, friggin' Outlaw Star. So this is kind of like a golden age for TV anime once they realize it can make money. But Gainax is kind of in this weird spot because they're still technically recovering from a horrific production cycle. Like, there's a reason. We'll get to production IG in a second. Uh, production IG helps out with Fully Coolies because they did a lot of the grunt work on End of Evangelion. Like, Gainax did not have the manpower for an amazing theatrical-based movie, and that's why Production IG, the kings of sci-fi in the 90s with uh, Ghost in the Shell 1995, they step in and give a hand. But all while this is happening, they've still got to, you know, pay the bills and do a regular sort of anime studio thing. So a very important show happens in between Fully Cooly and Evangelion, and that is Kare Kano. Oh. So a lot of so I was guilty of this until recently. I watched it when I had COVID over Christmas, and uh, Kari Kano is a a manga adaptation. It's not something Gainax came up on themselves, and it's it's really interesting. It's it's a nice, it's a good little show. As the whole premise of Kari Kano is it's two, uh, you know, prestige high school students essentially live lives through personas, but then fall in love once they let the guard down. It's also mm-hmm. very experimental with visuals. Uh, the dude who did the Ava soundtrack was like, all right, fuck it, I've got some leftover sonatas, I'll just put them in. <laughs> and it's it's very sort of shoujo contemplative fluff, um, but in, in the best way, no, like, I, it's really good. I, I don't think I made my way through the whole series, but we definitely watched it at my college anime club back in the 2000s, and it was yeah, no, it, like, impeccably done, quality stuff. Yeah, no, it's just a shame the ending shit's the bad because the manga wasn't finished, but, you know, oh, that's the story of I'll anime. Never, I never knew. <laughs> uh, what's also actually quite funny about Kari Kano is um, the main girl is voiced by Ash Ketchum, and it's weird to hear Veronica Taylor say swears, oh. but, you know, that's quite funny. I thought you were going to make a different voice actor connection, but go on. <laughs> but, um, no, uh, but Kari Kano, like, is a good show on its own. But the thing is, um, horrible production as well. Because Hideaki Anno, God bless him, was like, yeah, I know I just had a mental breakdown, but yeah, I can handle another TV production. Spoiler warning, he couldn't. He really couldn't. And he walks away for a little bit and he leaves um, a couple of sub-directors like Surumaki in charge. And that's why Kare Kano literally ends on a nothing read the manga ending mm. because there was a bunch of disagreements with the original author. The scheduling was once again, you know, anime scheduling has always been chaotic, but Gainax could never get it down. And also during this time behind closed doors, um, the founders who would be arrested like a couple of years before we were talking, uh, they were making some bad decisions in terms of investments. But um, Kare Kano happens and kind of sort of really 
but like without Karakano, maybe Arno would have done the rebuilds at Gainax. But it was kind of like that that sort of burnt him on TV animation for the rest of his life. And so um, following that, Fully Cooley kind of sits in this interesting sort of space because you can tell from the quality of animation between episodes that this shit's an OVA series. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's it's incredible the angles and the kind of stuff they're able to do because they produced this over two years as opposed to half a year in a TV cell in like a TV seasonal block. It took two years. I didn't know that. Yeah. So um, I've been watching a bunch of the um, Blu-ray director's commentary, which is mostly Suramaki and an interviewer. And according to his vague notes, the production length of Fully Cooley was about two years, but with planning out of the way, it was more like a year and a half. So they spent about six months kind of planning the vague concept and everything like that. So it was this kind of just let's gynax this style of OVA. And it really is kind of, it's kind of a, a very sort of key divide point because people talk about pre gynax Ava and post gynax Ava. But I think that Fully Cooley is more the sort of tipping point because you see a lot of new talent that would go and form Studio Trigger, like Yo Yoshinari, who's the little witch academia guy, mm-hmm. and um, Imaishi is, is definitely yes, Imaishi. His uh, his foot, his fingerprints are all over uh, Fully Cooley. The air, yeah, the airsoft episode alone, yeah, that's yeah, very much in his wheelhouse. But yeah, a lot of it is kind of just a mix of we can do this now, and well let's go back to our roots with, you know, being, you know, an OVA company. Cause that's what kind of where Gynax kind of shone and, you know, following this, they'd also do Die Buster, like a pseudo sequel to, to Gunbuster and Q- the re cutie honey OVAs, which is basically go to guy booby time. Mm-hmm. But, uh, that's kind of like the sort of generic history our way. But when it comes to actually fully coolly itself, if fully coolly to me, it is a series I thought about a lot, despite not breaking my top 20. Wow. But God, yeah, like it's, I've seen it six times because it's a very breezy watch. There's mm-hmm. never a, there's rarely a time where I just watch one or two episodes. I always shotgun it because it's designed in that sort of adult swim marathon kind of session. Mm-hmm. And it means like fully coolly, much like sexual intercourse means everything and nothing in equal proportions. Now, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. swear. Spit, spit, fire, kings. So, essentially, to me, um, being someone who has been in relationships, but having been a watching this pre that and post that, mm-hmm. sex to someone who's never had it means everything. It's almost like an invisible social status. But once that's you've gotten over that, you realize... Oh, this means virtually nothing, and I still pay taxes and have to do jogging or whatever I do to keep alive. And Fully Cooley kind of like is in that sweet spot because Fully Cooley has scenes that are meticulously planned, but it also has scenes that are just put in because the director and staff are like, ah, fuck it, we needed to fill time and this was cool. You're talking and about the South Park interlude. You're definitely talking about the South Park interlude. Oh, yeah, yeah, not just the South Park interlude interlude there's so much like you know there's there's icon there's imagery that is so iconic but means nothing like you know the never knows best cigarette mm. which is called back to in progressive it means nothing mm-hmm. it's Suramaki just saw it on a postcard one time and just put it in the show there's so much of this shit that just means absolutely nothing but occasionally they'll talk about such intricate fine detail it is the ultimate combination of contemplative and utter fucking stupidity. And I think that's kind of the Gynax golden triangle. Mm. 
It's um, it really kind of it's fascinating that uh, a lot of the things that definitely resonate with uh, younger fans or just fans that watch it, I guess, mm. pre-adulthood is like, you know, the, you're on the precipice of puberty. Uh, women are this mystery, physical, yes. like intimacy. It literally feels like uh, an earth shattering event uh, to the point where it can feel like your head is splitting open and everything is so powerful and intense. Um, but somehow that like loneliness and ennui and every isolation uh that was very present also in Evangelion. It's, you know, it's yes. all about maturity and embracing the unknown and a willingness to get hurt mm. and the uh, transition. I mean, this is not, this is maybe the most misogynistic way to say this, but um, the, <laughs> the transition uh, in adulthood, when you go from, Oh my God, women are mysteries to, Oh no, yes. no, no. Women are crazy. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's like all part of the, uh, it's yeah, but that just means they're just as flawed and human and fucked up as yeah, you yeah, are. No, uh, I abs- no, I absolutely I get that, and that's also a very that's also a very Japanese <laughs> way of looking at it because I don't like as as two white guys, I don't want to make like too much assumptions, but as someone who like looks into a lot of sort of anime and Japanese culture, there are times where I am. I would be amazed if anyone on any anime staff has touched a woman <laughs> consensually before. And I know that sounds really wrong to say aloud, but goddamn, there's just so many, like, I, I get, we were talking about the Sunday study stream, and I get why people get sort of, like, grossed out by anime sexuality, because um, it feels very kind of in or inauthentic, kind of feels kind of, like, very sort of false, like, we all know, like, about the boob grab and mm-hmm. the slap and all this sort of bad anime comedy that's kind of not been funny for three decades, but it's still in as sort of, like, a rite of passage but Fully Cooly kind of hits on that sense of feeling awkward on purpose, mm-hmm. and no one's really, like, Haruko is designed to be kind of the sex symbol, but she's also in, like, weird contorted positions, and be- she has, like, you know, the Yoshiki Sawamoto kind of nasal flare, mm-hmm. and it's kind of not, it's not va-va-voom, it's kind of like, I mean, this is the idea of attractive, but there's so much weird shit going on. I can't focus on it. No, I mean, the the one of the things that definitely uh, I you know, this is one of those things where you want to push up your glasses and be like, um, it's about, no, the con- contextually, it's not as bad as you think it is. Is, uh, yeah, I mean, in, actually, it is a, re- a subtle reference yeah. to the episode 35 of Gundam where there's a naked scene and an invented hentai. Yes. Uh, but the um, the most cringy stuff I really th- is uh, basically focused on the dad figure who is himself yes. a embarrassing aging otaku. Like the fact that um, Naota is like embarrassed by his parents and his yes. grandfather is like, again, part of growing up is when you start getting embarrassed by your dad, when you realize, yeah. oh, he's just a pervy otaku with like an image. Yeah. You know, the half the. It's, it's like when it's like when Zoomers kind of like go on like rant saying, "Dude, did you see Back to the Future? There's a rape scene in it. Yeah. That's fucked up." Yeah, yeah. Like you know, kind of just realizing the whole. Yeah, we time times evolve. That's just growing up. Yeah, it's it's um so like it's not as egregious. Ah, it's 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 you know you can just like you can very no, it's, it's easily weird. it's again I'm not gonna be but between and between two aging weaves it can be like. Yeah, it sucks that sometimes something that means so much to you, you're trying to show somebody and they're like, yeah. I am upset by how much they're highlighting this 16 year old girl's uh, pa- underpants. Yeah. And you got to just yeah, be like, like, 
No, it's a very good point. <laughs> look, as look, Gurren Lagann is one of my favorite pieces of fiction ever made. And even I'm like, just make Yoko 18. Jesus. <laughs> look, she's 21 in the time skip. So that's that's why it redeems itself. But Christ, man, it's uh, it, there's definitely a moment during the group watch where uh, the um, when especially like one of the first things that happens in the in the OVA in the first episode is Mamimi. Yeah. Mamimi, the, uh, you know, the smoking girl. Yeah, she's using a 12 year old to cope with the fact that his brother isn't here anymore. And it's like, uh, yeah. And so I was like, uh, you know, she's like 15. He's 13. Just like my brain automatically tried to like localize exactly. it to make it less weird. And someone was like, no, I Wikipedia. He's 12. She's 17. Everybody was like, yeah, gross. Yeah, and uh, yeah, no, that that's that's a very good point about the anime sexuality. Honestly, uh, coming back to Kari Kano, that's actually one of the more refreshing things about it. It's two people in a consensual relationship, and <laughs> a delight like um, a crisp ginger ale, so yes. light and fizzy, just a delightful, refreshing <laughs> uh, change of pace. And it actually does have like you know, the the, the couple has sex, but it is consensual and romantic, and it's kind of just like yeah, teens do this. As opposed to like, well, what's a vulva? <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing like 90s Canada voice, but. Because uh, chances are someone had to localize a line of dialogue yes. like that. Ugh, the scent of your pantsuit is giving me strength. We'll both make it to adulthood now. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, problematic uh, face that's, anime. Um, that, yeah, that. that <laughs> Jesus. Yep. Congratulations. As I guiltily stare at my shelf full of. Blu-rays and Gundam models. Yeah, that's my life. But uh, back to the production of Fully Cooly. Um, yes. So OVA production is yeah. like it's if if a TV show is a TV show, then it's a miniseries. It's like like a high quality miniseries. Like essentially, if you think of like whenever I try and describe an OVA to someone, my two examples are it's either a high quality like Netflix series or it's like the Battlestar Galactica 2004 miniseries. Like it's like like that that sort of sort of, you know, high concept, this could be more, but it's a nice sort of contained thing that had more sort of scheduling. And with anime production, it's less to do with about, like, just raw budget and more to do with we have time to plan, we have time to get key animators, we have time to get the people we want to work with. And with Fully Cooly, everyone who was kind of would make a name for themselves kind of is on Fully Cooly. Like, the guy who directed Royal Space Force does some work, like, you know... Uh, Yo-Yo Shinari obviously does work, you know, Hiroki Maishi, like, and even Arno assists here and there. It's kind of just like, you can feel... Oh, he does? Uh, yeah, like, he's done, he does some basic storyboarding. It's not. It's nothing too amazing, but I'm, I'm, I'm half convinced there is a shot that is exactly like one of his animated stuff, uh, keyframes in Daikon, and I'm like, that, that feels suspiciously very Hideaki Arno. So I'm just gonna actually get up, there's an animator called, uh, Ogura, who is the animation director for... Uh, episode four, Swing the Bat. And uh, there's that sort of, you know, it's a very sort of almost experiment, serial experiments lane, kind of like a lot of sort of close-ups, a lot of sort of, you know, horror where Naoto's dad is that weird android for a hot second and it kind of looks like Paranoia Agent because he's holding a bat and he oh may have just God, killed his right. dad. You're right. Yeah, like that, um, that his uh, animation sort of style was kind of used for a lot of those scenes. And there's that weird one in, I think it's episode two where everyone kind of looks like, uh, 
like rotoscoped thing and they only do it for 10 seconds fully coolie is kind of just like a a pantheon of different animation styles like obviously you know the south park mm-hmm. kind of homage points to that but there's also stuff that is very clearly yeah let's throw in an ichiro itano matt cross missile mm-hmm. homage let's let's throw in like some daikon kind of shenanigans it's it's actually really funny that um oh god suramaki yeah suramaki literally said um i tried to make kanti not like a japanese robot Mission failed. Mission failed in the best way possible. It's like a nice, like the TV head was definitely novel, especially uh, pre-saga. That definitely like made it uh, stand out and more approachable than like a Gundam or a Macross or. Oh, oh, absolutely. But now you've, but now you've put the image of my in my head where Naruto's wearing the kitty ears and it's just like he's saying lying. (laughs) (laughs) I will say rewatching it. Um. I don't think I really revisited it uh, besides like maybe a random episode here or there mm. when I saw it on streaming or adultswim.com or something that yeah. uh, now having a background in anime history, uh, humble mm. as it is, so much of it is so much more coherent. Like, uh, oh, yes, the red jacket, green jacket line of dialogue back in 2003. Yeah, gibberish no idea yeah now oh, i know cool, exactly of course. You'd be, what he's you'd be lucky if you you'd be lucky if you got like a dvd of like the david hater dub of Cagliostro. right immediately understand exactly what the reference is when um the medical mechanica iron plan is laid out and now mm. is like seeing all the iron stampeding i'm like oh those are the bugs from uh nausicaa like it's the exact yes. shot and anna worked on that it's a callback i this is a hundred percent coherent and i know exactly what they're intending yeah though my two favorite examples one that always makes me laugh and the other that always makes me kind of uh wince a little is uh when uh conti is on unpa- uh, unpacking like um the store and now to in the dub now it says he wrote a he wrote a book on the deepness of ever. That just makes me piss myself every time because I have gotten into a lot of online fights of Evangelion fans who think they are a lot smarter than they are. Oh yeah. And the second one <laughs> and the second one is where it's like it's Tominoa, it's Gundam Desk, but it's actually giant robot anime. <laughs> I'm a Gundam fan and that means fucking nothing to me. That's just fucking gibberish. <laughs> and here's the thing, half of this is just gibberish. Like the Mamimi's opening monologue is is just a quote from Ashitino Joe. But she's getting it wrong because she's talking about baseball and not boxing. Like a lot of like I'm gonna get into a lot of examples of something that is, you know, meticulously planned, another thing that's just like, this makes no sense, and you just know you're not gonna be called out on it because no one's gonna give a damn. <laughs> so, uh sorry, I've just I've got like pages of like sprawled notes. So like coming back to uh the production, uh I mean, it's, it's, if you want to know something fun, the Vespa you see in the end is Suramaki's Vespa, oh. but apparently it broke down during filming, so he doesn't ride it anymore. <laughs> and uh, one of my other favorite facts is, in order to convey that Mamimi is lonely, they gave her a Game Boy. I, th- I believe it was uh, more <laughs> akin to the Bandai Wonderswan, also oh, probably, designed yes. by Gunpei Yokoi, the inventor of the Game Boy, but uh, uh, it's yes, the dual yeah. D-pad vertical uh, uh, yeah, arrangement. they got all the cool remakes of Final Fantasy that we mm-hmm. never did. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Probably, but they they talk about in the in the commentary. Uh, everyone in Japan is a Game Boy. Will Americans get this? <laughs> 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 and there's a, there's a lot of sort of adorable kind of apologies, sort of like, will Americans understand this? My friend, they will now. 
It's but no, there's, there's actually like some interesting kind of stuff that is semi sort of dropped. So coming back to the sexuality stuff, the kind of thing that I kind of surprised you with was the fact that it wasn't Surumaki that was pushing for the sex stuff. Mm-hmm. It was a writer called um, Yuji Inokido, and yeah, there's literally a quote that says, you know, Inokido likes to incorporate sexual images into his story, and they rapidly went in that direction with the imagery and undertones because. Um, Surumaki said, uh, I think if the show were based solely on my ideas, then it would not have been nearly as interesting. It would have been uh, a little shallow, mm. I think is the, is the sort of the quote I caught, which is fascinating that that was not like innately in the concept. I mean, yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely. It's, I mean, at that time, going through literally the exact same emotions, it resonated extra hard. Mm. Um, I think I feel like everybody just wants some random alien cute girl to just like smack you in the face and just yeet you into uh manhood. Uh, <laughs> but you know, it's feels, but those kind of emotions and those kind of feelings aren't as meticulously cataloged as they are in mm. Japanese media. Um, yeah. She, you know, I was going to say Hara Hara Haruko predating Ramona flowers by like at least four years. <laughs> well, God, people were a lot of people, again, a lot of people watching blind with us, uh, immediately put a uh, Scott Pilgrim connection with the insane yes. amounts of pastiche, the driving like grunge rock soundtrack, I, that, and the uh, aloof protagonist surrounded by uh, magical uh, alt girls just like taking yeah. him on his journey. Yeah, this, yeah, honestly, that's actually that's a really good comparison. I, I did not think about that. I mean, of, I think it's probably a little course, more. Of course, Brian Lee O'Malley watched a shit ton of oh, uh, yes. anime. It's like it's, it's half of what made it. Uh, such a hit was that it was the first like major work by s- the same kind of weeb that grew up in the 80s and 90s as we. Oh, but. absolutely. He was also just a cynical Canadian, which just helped it stand out to everyone else. <laughs> I don't, you know what? Uh, it's, uh, I hate it when you see a Reddit post and it's just like place Canada and everybody just makes the soy face. <sighs> Bloody hell. Uh, so yeah, I'll kind of just like going through a bunch of this, just in terms of like you know, I'll, I'll wrap off a few one of like like my memories of the show is the fact that episode four always sticks out to me because the whole sort of swing the bat mm-hmm. metaphor is the most Gynax thing. The fact that a teenage boy hits a giant meteor with a guitar and prevents world collapse, and it's a metaphor for taking chances. Mm-hmm. It's and the fact that it's you know. I think I can is blurring in the background. It might might be what the show peaks for me. Like there's just, I mean, it's pretty, I mean, I even teared up watching it again. It's just, it hits all the good boy uh, feelings. Oh, absolutely. I mean, here's the thing. Naruto is actually pretty unique as a Gainax protagonist because he's not in the Noriko Simone, like can do, you know, you know, spiral power justice, but he's not such an unlikable, like asshole in the sort of Shinji quadrant. He's sort of very understandable as someone who is the most mature around him in some ways, but is still very much a child and other. Like, you know, a lot of fully coolie heads will point to the fact that, you know, he doesn't like sour drinks, but then he downs the lemonade at the end of the first episode because, you know, maturity or something. And then that's homaged by, you know, my uh, tomboy crazy wife Ryuko biting a whole fucking lemon like a mad lass in the beginning of Kill the Kill. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like there's a lot of sort of in between, like, you know, in, in the second episode that Suramaki goes off on a whole, like the whole reason behind like Mamini's action and the fact that it's actually 
it's kind of deeper than I expected. Like, you know, not only is she a bullied teenager, it's the fact that she's believing in this false god that she's viewing through video games where reality is kind of crashing down upon her. Though, he does go into something kind of weird, and that is the fact that apparently... This is based on, like, a, a case in America he heard about where someone got obsessed with RPGs and then, like, you know, killed family members. This might be something to do with, like, the satanic panic around D&D at the time, but I couldn't find anything about that. I, I questioned the validity on that. But Wait, just Surumaki said that? Yeah, yeah. In, in the commentary for episode two, he, he kind of sort of, like, is very scatterbrained mm. about a lot of sort of... Um, details, some things he'll be very clear on, other things he'll be like, yeah, I think this happened. And he sort of mentioned that the fact that with the, the Firestarter game and the fact that it's burning, like a lot of that is mentioned on some sort of case that happened stateside with to do with like kids obsessing over RPGs. Like, once again, I don't know the validity of this, I mean, but it was interesting it's, too. you know, whether, you know, it's, he didn't anticipate the weird Midwest Slenderman murder, but like, yes, it's, it's a thing, you know, whether it was Wicca or any, anything else, like it's or doom Columbine, like anything, yeah. like it was just, you know, always going to find a way. But what's actually interesting is the fact that, you know, the whole bit where Kanti kind of like flies oh. and sort of becomes a God is based on an old Japanese TV show that was about UFOs that aired in Surimaki's childhood. And there would basically be like, the modern equivalent of like those shitty um, cable access shows where people are like, is there a ghost in this house? Find out in seven parts. And that was that was quite amusing. Uh, but also he kind of talks about uh, Shintoism a little bit, which kind of caught me off guard. And he says that um, in Japan, kind of everything can become a god. Mm hmm. Like, the whole idea of, you know, use something long enough and it'll become a god to you. And that's something he was, you know, kind of concerned about with how Christian-centric America is, is the fact that they sort of misinterpret Kanti as being this sort of Christ figure, but it's more like kind of just, you know, just a generic deity, which is kind of interesting. Like, I used to not think much of that episode, but I've definitely gone back and saying, ha, huh, there was a lot more here than 17-year-old Jay was giving credit to. I mean, I saw I've been watching a couple of YouTube essays and one of them mm. just took clips from the Blu-ray commentary and just highlighted every time Suramaki was uh, just said, I added this because I like it. <laughs> it's like baseball. <laughs> I like it. The Vespa. I like it. Oh, yeah, ab absolutely. Like a lot of a lot of it is kind of like I respect the sheer. I mean, here's the thing. He's very chill about it. Like listening to this kind of in the background whilst I'm I'm noting stuff down. The man is very, he's very humble, though I also need to bring up something very fun is the fact that um, in episode three, they're drinking like weird Capri Suns or looking like it. Apparently, that was a botched sponsor deal oh. because originally a, a health company had approached FL Seal to say, yo, feature this product. And so that's why they're not drinking anything normal like a soda can. I was, it, I, I, I obviously being a weeb, I go to Japanese yes. like snack marts and whenever mm -hmm, I find them mm -hmm. in a major city and I recognized that label and I was like, that's like a weird like health recovery vitamin yes. jelly drink. Like that's not something you would just reach for when you were chilling yeah, no, with your a, homie. Yeah, no, I get, yeah, absolutely. And he sort of sounds very reserved about it. So I have a feeling it didn't taste too good. <laughs> but by the time they drew it in, the deal fell through. So they were just stuck with these two kids drink, drinking like protein shakes through Capri Sun pouches, which is, yeah, they were they were on that for a little bit. But no, just talking about the different sort of animation styles, like 
something I was sort of saying to you is the fact that something I thought would be easy was actually the hardest scene in the show to animate, and that was whenever they go into the crazy manga panels. Oh, yeah, yeah. And apparently, the reason this was that hard is the fact that they were dealing with so much raw data, and they were still sort of like, you know, using computers, but this still was analogly animated, so the, the sheer amount of just keyframe and movement between, like, the panels was kind of insane, and the production company said, please never do this again, and then they did it again in the last episode! And then they just straight up break the fourth wall and talk about how they promised they weren't going to do that because it's too hard to animate. Yeah, like, literally in the first, you know, five minutes, is like, those, great, those CG shots are really hard. <laughs> Gotta hold your breath for a long time. Like, that's just, just straight up. It, it's kind of, it's winking and nodding at you before hitting you in the face of a, a, a Les Paul. And yeah, the Matrix scene where they sort of zoom around, that was originally done with wireframe models that were made as reference, and then they kind of just... Uh, the background was built in 3D. It was also a pain in the ass, because of course it was. Why would these people do anything easy? But yeah, there's just a... There's so much in terms of, like, he scans... Suramaki scanned his hand in. Mm -hmm. Like, the final hand that picks up the Medica Mechanica iron, that's his, because fuck it, why not? That's but, yeah, like that's what I in in popular just like hearsay. Why is FLCL so weird? Is like because they were literally fucking around and just wanted to test a bunch of like shots and production techniques that they wanted to use mm. for later series like Gurren Lagan, like yeah, other stuff. Is that like how much of that is like so? Uh, I I can only go off what I know about this era of anime in terms of this. I didn't, unfortunately, like, I didn't finish the director's commentary for five and six, though, you know, I, I know enough about this that hopefully I can bullshit my way through it. So this, FLCL aired in 2000 and ended in 2001. This is when anime is switching to digital because, look, I, I love anime, but it is an industry that has been perpetually been made on the cheap mm -hmm. for various labor violations. So whatever was cheaper, they were always going to go with that option. So there's this sort of transition period in the early 2000s where suddenly everything is on digital. And a lot of anime looks like shit. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna <laughs> mince words. Like, you know, we all remember like the how to draw manga faces and where they came from. It was came from a lot of sort of the fact that digital coloring couldn't get it quite right. Like famously, even big studios like Sunrise, like Gundam Seed looks like ass because the colors are just so muted and ugly. And a lot of people couldn't quite hack it. And so with sort of like FLCL doesn't kind of like is in this sweet spot because it still is done via analog, but the colors sort of look like early 2000s anime would look when they finally got lighting down, like Studio Bones, like with play things like Razafan and Wolf's mm -hmm. Rain and Full Metal Alchemist 2003. They were one of the studios that really nailed how to paint digitally. But it's really interesting because FLCL actually isn't the last cell animated Gynax thing. That was a little show called Mabaromatic. Oh, and what if, what if made? What if made? Yes, yeah. What if it's, robot uh, made? Honestly, yeah, yeah, like the, the robot combat made that's also a very etchy show. Honestly, ton of fun. Um, and what's actually really interesting is one of the only 16 by 9 cell animated anime it made for TV. Ha! Huh. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really unique in that way because it looks amazing. And then the second season is terrible because they switch to digital and everything goes down the drain. But it's kind of interesting to observe that FLCL isn't the last hurrah of this, but it is kind of using a lot more digital effects that, that you know, they would go on to use in, say, Cutie Honey and, and Gura and, and especially Panty and Stocking. Mm -hmm. 
so uh yeah it's 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 kind of fascinating considering it is a tech demo like i was i was i was half joking but the more i think about it when i said to you in the discord conversation that space dandy is the real sequel to fully cooly i'm kind of not kidding because fully cooly when you look at it is really just a, an excuse to tell an intimate story about growing up and all of these things around it but also to kind of just demonstrate we're proud to be animators mm -hmm. and we're going to go nuts with this in the same way because the whole story of FL Seal, like the actual story is a space pirate comes down and there's a military keeping an eye on like a men in black situation and Haruko's a rogue space pirate and Adam Atticus is, you know, like the ultimate being or whatever. But none of that matters. <laughs> there's, a reason, there's a reason that they only explain it in the last 10 minutes when the eyebrows dude is like, yeah, this is this is what's happening, and your 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 weird sort of like cock crush is gonna kill everyone or whatever, <laughs> because it kind of it doesn't because that's not what FLC is about. FLC is kind of just it's a story of maturity that just happens to feature giant robots, sex innuendos, and just so many visual transitions. You're gonna need a bucket to throw up in. <laughs> so it's. It, it, it is, and also, like, the ending is surprisingly succinct. Like, there's, there's something in the anime community called the Gainax ending, which I've never believed in, which is sort of the belief that Gainax endings are always bad and weird and out of nowhere. This is something I, I dismiss quite openly. Mm. But, um... Definitely not the case in FLCL. Well, yeah, because everything kind of comes together. Because here's the thing, you're not... Everyone moves on with their life. Like, Mamimi goes from a bullied, um you know, teenager to sort of pursuing photography in America. Naoto transitions into high school. Haruka fucks off, which is probably the best thing she could do for Naoto. And it it's it's open enough, but it is it feels like a definitive jam session, like you were talking about. This was never designed to be serialized. Like the, the beauty of OVAs is the fact that they're short form storytelling and can do so much complex um, visual stuff and unlike TV anime which often is stereotyped for being kind of like I think Chuck Jones once described you know a lot of TV an animation as sort of like um, visual radio mm. and I think that's a very apt way of describing like a lot of you know even good anime series that unfortunately due to you know bad scheduling and you know a lot of labor rights that need to really be fucking worked out if this industry is going to survive another century um, it does feel like you're watching a, a better than average visual novel and occasionally the Sakuga hit kits in and for two minutes you're like, ha, huh, take that Disney fans. And then you're like, oh, it's over. All right, cool. Back to teenagers talking in rooms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, that the whole adult swim angle, like you wanted to sort of like focus on, that is fascinating when you look at, like, before it was just Toonami, when Adult Swim was firmly its own sort of more adult programming block, FL Seal might be, like, next to Cowboy Bebop, might be the perfect show mm -hmm. to have aired on Adult Swim. Because you have, you know, the, the rise of anime being in sort of mainstream culture. Like, I think it was um, in the Somewhere I Belong video. Fucking... Chester Bennington just fucking walks past his shelf and he's got like master grade Gundam kits. <laughs> like, you know, Jamie Hewlett clearly took anime influence when doing a bunch of the Gorillaz mm -hmm. music videos. And like a, a lot of this is slowly seeping into 
the mainstream, especially people who like say read indie comics or into punk rock, the FL Seal is the, this ultimate combination. And like I was saying, because it doesn't have an OP sequence, it can kind of just you can kind of just air it as is. FL Seal because it's on an adult network, you don't need to do any tsunami censoring, like you know that famous episode of Outlaw Star that they had to cut because there were too many nipples, <laughs> and it, it was a crime. It's the, it, it's one of the best. Uh, <laughs> bathhouse episodes ever because it's basically just an episode of Tom and Jerry <laughs> but um, it was kind of perfect because next to next to your sort of cool you know your Spike Spiegels and your Vash the Stampedes with you know your cool sort of western gunfight uh, cartoons you had this which was kind of like a kind of like uh, those uh, what was the uh, animation competition that like Stephen Hillenburg and people like that entered it's kind of feels Not like Spike and a free hour version of that in many ways. You're not talking about Spike and Mike's animation festival. Yes. Oh. Yes. There we go. I'm sorry. I've, it's, I remember, I remember so much like key facts from Ep. Look, I've been a fan from kind of like since 2016, man, like you guys have covered a lot and it's kind of just wormed its way into my mind. Okay. Fine, fine, fine. So yeah, like that, it kind of, it feels like kind of like it is anime, but at the same time, if you know nothing about anime, it doesn't feel like any sort of barriers are up. It just feels like such a, such a raw experience, but with Adult Swim, OVAs are kind of were the perfect thing because the thing is, early on, Adult Swim made the big mistake. I mean, granted, I'm saying this as a secondhand person who you know didn't necessarily grow up with this, but has watched the shows that aired and kind of gone back and saying, "Hmm, how did this? How did this first come to come to English speaking audiences?" A lot of stuff they tried to sort of air was kind of long form serialized stuff mm-hmm. in uh, late at night. And that doesn't seem like a great idea because you want to sort of like, you know, switch out varieties. So, you know, for instance, Yu Yu Hakusho was on Adult Swim. Oh, God. And that was, yeah, and that was never a good idea. So easy to Yu lose Yu the thread was, on that one, which I yeah, did Yu, multiple times. Yeah, Yu Yu Hakusho is, in a, is a 112 episode shonen series and with multiple long hitting story arcs. None of it is episodic. So, you know. Moving that to Toonami, smartest thing they ever did, but say having something like, you know, Gundam FMS Team, or Outlaw Star, or Tenchi Muyo, like something that's pretty short form, and because it's an OVA, has higher quality animation, mm-hmm. it really helps with the adult sort of, yeah, the, the literal adult swim anime block. It helps it sort of separate it, because, you know, the Toonami cartoons were, you know, they were, say, more violent, and they did have sort of serialized stories, but, you know, they were only so much of, depending on which one you were watching... Due to the censorship, there was only so much of, like, an up in anti there was compared to, like, you know, a, a Justice League or a Batman the Animated Series in terms of, you know, kind of maturity, quote-unquote. But with the Adult Swim block, you have a lot of sort of more quieter, contemplated moments. You have It's not just about violence and boobies. It's about these things are designed for an older audience. Mm-hmm. I didn't put two and two together that like so many of the Adult Swim uh, early bangers were these higher production OVAs that were easier to take in, you know, one week at a time segments. Yeah. Like I'm thinking of stuff like Blue Sub Six. I'm thinking of, yeah, Tenji Muyo and Fui Kuli that they hit different. They definitely felt more mm. important they felt uh yeah. grander than yeah and your average episode of dragon ball z or yu yu haku show out of context yeah like like here's like especially with dragon ball because yu yu haku show for its time was in like actually no to this day i'd fight that yu yu haku show is one of the most impressive shonen series from an animation perspective because every episode looks 
distinct and unique mm-hmm. and they always have like at least one fight like if anything it's kind of kind of really unfair like Yu Yu Hakusho kind of really makes a lot of a shonen series look like absolute garbage in mm-hmm. terms of like animation quality but with Dragon Ball because it was going between like I I've done a big Dragon uh, Dragon Ball uh retrospective on my show that I'm very proud of because I went super super du- super duper in depth it was going through 12 different animation houses. Like, oh, yeah. a reason why Vegeta's neck is pencil thin <laughs> and then roided the fuck out one episode between is because you would pass it between 12 different guys and someone was like, I like Toriyama's early style. I like Toriyama's mm. later style. And they'd just be like, fuck it, I'm the animation lead. This is what the episode's gonna look like. Oh, and yeah. There's one, I forgot the name of the guy, but, like, every hyper like roided out badass moment in dragon ball that you remember as a kid was like one animation director like doing that yeah i think it may uh tadayoshi yamamoro it may have been him he was the dude who did a lot of um cell stuff and he was the guy who kind of headed up super but yeah like you'd have people like uh yoshikara nakatsuru who would do most of the freezer saga and stuff like that but with fully coolly it's this very sort of it's basically an album it was it's kind of it's it's a rock opera. It's kind of like a prelude to Interstellar 5555 in the sense that the Pillows music is so key to the story of Fooly Cooly. It's kind of directly, you know, imbued into the soul. And as someone who's watched a little bit of Progressive tonight, the Pillows music doesn't feel nearly as in-universe, nearly as diegetic as it could have. And it just it's it really is this thing that has just become victim to franchise-nization because Fully Cooly was a one and done. It really shouldn't have continued. And, you know, I don't want to be like a, a sour jackass about this because it's very easy to be super cynical, like, you know, especially in this fandom. But yeah, watching it, my, def- my kind of de facto response kind of immaturely was, how dare you? <laughs> how dare you stood where she stood? But yeah, now getting on to... I mean, I'm kind of just like, I think I've cleared a lot of different notes. Like, is there anything you want to kind of like, you're kind of curious about that I could sort of shed a little light on? Um, the, uh, the tax trouble said Gynax, does that affect or have anything to do with the greater story so, of Fully Koi? So not the original series, but the sequels? Fuck yeah. Uh, all right. <laughs> Fuck yeah, yeah. yes. <laughs> so, um... Long story short, around I'll possibly sort of get back to other things I'd love about the original series, but the whole hoo-ha about the, like, fully co- why Fully Cooly Progressive and Alternative exist are essentially Studio Kara, Hideaki Ono's company, bailed Gainax out of bankruptcy multiple times. Jesus. Yeah, so post, uh, post Panty and Stalking, Gainax is still doing stuff, like they did an airsoft anime that did cutscenes for visual novels. They're still technically a company mm-hmm. that make makes stuff, but um, there was money that was embezzled. One of the pride, the like, you know, the uh, presidents of Gynax was, you know, arrested for tax evasion, but also revealed to have been having a relationship with a 16 year old. Very ugly stuff. Uh, but, you know, Arno felt some loyalty to this, to this company and sort of as part of one of the deals uh, was, you know, giving money to Gynax so they could stay afloat. But one of the things was he wanted rights back to shows that they worked on. Mm-hmm. And Fully Cooly was one of them. So they 
in one of the sort of attempted Kara sort of talks and acquisitions, they wanted to get Gunbuster back, they wanted to get Diebuster back, and Fully Cooley was kind of on the table for Surimaki, who since doing Diebuster and Fully Cooley has been kind of been Hideaki Anno's, like right hand man. Like if you watch the Evangelion rebuild movies, in my opinion, they're more Suramaki films than they are Arno films in terms of like, you know, the bombastic action and the sort of sort of like sexiness and stuff like that, especially because FL Seals writer kind of worked on them as well, mm. which kind of explains all of the 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 Neko Neko Boing Boing and how the worst character in anime <laughs> history wins. <laughs> that's a that's a conversation for a different time. It is, and god damn, do I have opinions on that. I think I described it to a best friend of mine saying, Evangelion 4.0 is the rise of Skywalker of anime, and I do not apologize for that sentence. <laughs> anyway, so um, the whole reason this is a bit fucked is the fact that Adult Swim kind of steps in, because Production IG technically has the co-writes. So Production IG, from my understanding, kind of sidesteps Gainax a little bit, and they start to work on stuff with Adult Swim. So ultimately, Suramaki doesn't really get a choice in this. Like, he's he's absolutely... And one of the sort of big things is the internet anime fandom can sometimes be an absolute cesspool of inaccuracy and repulsiveness, and it's one I am very reluctant to engage in sometimes because it's the very sort of like, Japanese fiction is pure! And, you know, Japan doesn't know what politics is. Shinzo Abe was shot because he cheated at his local Yu-Gi-Oh! tournament. That's all. <laughs> Don't look into that. But, um, yeah, it was kind of just a very, even when, you know, they got, like, you know, um, Kari Walgren back as, mm-hmm. as Haruko, and, like, Steve Bloom was doing voices, it was always, like, under a pretense of, this, this is kind of ugly, and this was kind of, like, a little bit unprecedented, considering ever since Toonami's revival, there'd been, like, you know, a bunch of good faith projects, like, you know, Space Dandy, like Megalobox, etc., mm-hmm. and so forth, and this kind of felt a little, little underhanded, and so when... Fully Cool was revealed to have seasons, it was kind of like, it was always gonna be uphill. But yeah, learning about all of Gainax's tax fuckery and how they've kind of been a shitty company for years, and it's a miracle that such great stuff was always being made under them, it definitely leaves a sour taste. Like, I am, I describe myself as a Gainax fan, as opposed to just a Gainax trigger fan, Mm -hmm. because a lot of, you know, I have a lot of love for these shows, but yeah, I always think back and it is a miracle they were made under these circumstances. So the whole kind of like Gainax fuckery comes into progressive and alternative because it's kind of their catalyst for existing. Like Adult Swim literally, yo, we could bring this back. We could probably, you know, make some money off this. And they're continuing to do so because new series are being announced. So alternative and progressive kind of air. Uh, I think they had in Japanese for a little bit on Toonami, which is kind of like one of their famous pranks. And they kind of go by the wayside. There's not much of a a fanfare. Yeah, kind of. There's every, not much. Everybody kind of just went, eh, and like didn't even. Yeah, no, 100 percent. Because the thing about because this was during. I'm not sure if you remember this, Jake. This was during like the anime streaming Armageddon. Mm. And what I mean by this is everything is under sort of like the Crunchyroll Empire now, for better or worse, and with some sites like High Dive operating independently. But this was during the time where you know. You had not just Crunchyroll and Funimation, you had, um, like, Daisuke, and you had Amazon Anime Strike. Remember Amazon's shit anime service I mean, where you had to pay a separate subscription? How else am I supposed to watch Iron <laughs> Fortress of the Carbonari, goddammit? <sighs> Fucking, like, it, no, there are, that and Recreators, two great <laughs> shows, are locked in Amazon jail forever, and it pisses me off. But no, this was during that sort of, like, a bunch of sort of, companies fighting for attention and the fact that it was kind of on 
Adult Swim, and it was given a fair amount of promotion, but the fact that it eventually made its world to Crunchyroll, which is where I watched it um, today, but it only made it there in Japanese, and most Fully Cooly fans are familiar with the dub, so it kind of just, it was kind of like a wet fart of an announcement, where like the actual sort of announcement of, we're doing more Fully Cooly, made way more impact on, you know, the anime community and the actual show itself, and having watched a little bit of Progressive, I honestly think the FLCL connection kind of weakens it to what could be just like a a fun, okay show about girls growing up. Mm. It's Alternative is a fucking mess, though. Alternative is the one that's more of a canonical sequel, right? Alternative is it's I look there is value in it, I'm sure, but it is more sort of it lives up to its name because it's kind of a retelling of the original story, but with worse animation and characters. And what fascinating about Alternative? is the director, is the dude who did Psychopass. Now, I love me some Psychopass, but he came from a film background, and I don't know why he's been put in charge of a bombastic action series, considering he had no experience directing anything of the sort. Like, if you look up alternative footage, there's a lot of animation errors, and there's a lot of sort of very sort of anime industry fuckery that's in it, and it's kind of just, it feels wrong that the FLCL name is attached to something that kind of looks like every other seasonal anime. Like, that's, that's, that, that should just make you throw up as a sentence. The fact that it's Fully Cooly is now every other anime. Yeah. Like, that's just fundamentally wrong. Yeah, that does, I mean, the idea that it looks kind of generic really is, uh, like, the idea, just even saying the new Fully Cooly is kind of generic is insane to it's say. Just, it, it's, it, it's baffling, because yeah, they got Sadamoto to do character designs, but that doesn't mean shit if the lighting's not very good, if the colors are kind of like that standard sort of not quite Makoto Shinkai shiny, but still shiny enough to be a little synthetic. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of just, like, the new the trailer for the new new series the, it's looks CG a little one. promising. Yeah, yeah, because it's sort of losing different animation techniques, and people will sort of say, it's like the Spider-Verse, but what they really mean to say is, oh, we're allowed to use interesting CG for cartoons again, yeah. hooray. <laughs> oh, but, frame, we, we forgot that frame timing was a part of the art form, and we remembered. <laughs> fucking yes. But no, it's it's this interesting thing, because before this conversation, I didn't think I had much to say about Fooly Cooly. No, no, you have been on Discord uh, dropping the hot knowledge for (laughs) days straight. You were bursting with uh, Fooly Cooly takes, and I was eager to hear them. Yeah, God, it turns out I know a lot, because a lot of it kind of just like, because just the specific era of like 1992 to about 2003 is kind of just like my happy place of anime. Because like, it was you know, the height like, of the art form. We t- like, yeah. It kind of fucking was. It literally, <laughs> you know, the same, like, the same way people talk about the renaissance and painting. Like there was just yeah. an explosion of expertise techniques and, and literal, uh, like just the fact that there were patrons, that there was yes. money that made- uh, Going in. That incentivized- yeah, despite the fact the economy was fucked, we still had money for good cartoons. Yeah. Like, you don't build the Sistine Chapel without uh, rich weirdos letting artists uh, just get away with shit that they wouldn't have been able to do on their own. Yeah, so it's... But the weird thing is, is where we are now is sort of... I don't know if things are better than wor- or worse than they were in 2017, because obviously you're talking about like all of this horrible HBO Max animation purge shit, which is a big deal, but also, you know, 
we've had like amazing animated products from like America, like you know Mitchell and the Machines, mm-hmm. Spider Verse, like all of this kind of stuff. And in anime, like a lot of new studios have risen up. Like I just finished the Studio Orange Trigun. Oh, uh, reboot, I've heard for nothing but amazing things about it. It's as, as someone who's also reading the Maximum manga. It's it's really good. Mm. Like it is um, kind of like a half pre- prelude to a bigger story and a half sort of retelling. And goddamn, the action scenes are. And the original is a personal favorite. I love the original Trigun so much, but the action scenes are so goddamn impressive. But you, you have people like Studio Orange. You have like you know, I'm sure you covered in the Chainsaw Man episode. You know, Studio friggin' Mapper have just come out of fucking nowhere and have become like a new dominant powerhouse. For the love of God, please pay your employees, Mapper. But that's another that's another ma- uh, matter. But so I don't know. I mean, you UFO table with Demon Slayer in yes. terms of just raw animation artistry. Also, pay your pay pay your taxes, you photoball. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 another thing. But no, like there's there's been like you know I'm not one of the I, I'm stereotyped as one of those people saying anime hasn't been good since 2008. No, there's a lot of incredible great stuff coming out. The problem is it's being drowned out by mediocre bullshit that trends on fucking mal. You can just say isekai. It's fine. We know what you're talking about. <sighs> look, th- look, there are three good isekai series made. Period, and they were all before Sword Art Online. <laughs> Escafloning now and then here and there, and maybe some of Dot Hack if I'm feeling very generous. First season but, Sword Art yeah. Online is, is decent. It's it's fine, it's like a, but it's a digital just, noir story. It's it's fine. It's great. It's just just why is there so much rape, Jake? Oh. Why is there so much fucking rape in SAO? It's just yucky. It is, in fact, yucky. But I feel like it. Well, if I could magic wand away uh, sexual assault in anime, I'd give you, you know, I'd be a, a trillionaire. <laughs> yeah, that's. Oh, God, that's that's that's. Well, actually, no, you'd, you'd be you need to capitalize on those weird neats that insist that it's necessary. Nah. So you kind of want to play both sides of the coin there. But no, FLCL is this special little thing that I'll, I'll always go back to. And I'm very interested to see. It's mostly beloved, but it's very interesting to see the polarizing reactions, especially like even from people who have supposedly watched a lot of anime. But because it's kind of it's everything. It's got like, you know, Surumaki talks about the very importance of the quiet scenes mm-hmm. in Fully Cooly, but also talks about, you know, the the importance of like, you know, I wanted a robot in this series because I like giant robots. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of the ultimate thesis statement on FLCL. I wanted this to happen because I wanted this to happen, but that doesn't mean it can't have depth. And I think that's kind of, it's kind of anime in general. Like, as it, even though we, we have moved past the, you know, we, we are, we living in a post Kappa Mikey society. Oh, wow. If you remember that. That is, that is a interesting, but effective waypoint <laughs> in terms of Western understanding of but yeah, like, you know, in the mid 2000s, you had like, you know, a bunch of anime parodies by like kids next door mm-hmm. and whatever. Like we've moved past, like, you know, Anime is more than just bad robot chicken Dragon Ball parodies at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we the general audience, even though they do have a massive lean towards, you know, shonen or whatever, is capable of understanding that this is a medium. And I think that Fully Cooly is kind of amplifies kind of like the power of anime. Like, as, as cheesy as that sounds. It is a kind of- highly distilled and concentrated... Uh, uh, no, what you're saying is all the feelings, all of the feelings that you would get, especially as a media starved uh, young yes. man who see who like still appreciates the art form of animation, mm. but like 
knows it's capable of more. Within Feliculi, you have the tantalizing uh, and weirdly resonant immature sexuality. You have the bombastic fight scenes. You have the mm. uh, experimental animation and like, you know, indie film kind of disjointed, like, ooh, you can do this kind of excitement. Mm. You have um, true to life, like just uh, confessional uh, small town malaise. It's all there and it's all so easily consumable. And just perfectly presented in a way that, like, if I had to, you know, if if I had to watch, like, one anime, or, I don't know, let's say I only get 120 minutes of anime, Fooly Cooly might be the one I take with me because it contains yeah. everything that anime is capable of. It, it really kind of does, and it's kind of like, because... We still get OVAs occasionally, like, they're more known as ONAs right. now, like, usually, you know, whenever, whenever you know... Masaki Yuasa gets Netflix money and decides to do something pretty good. Uh, but it definitely does feel like it's part of... It's it's timeless, but also very much rooted in the year 2000. And that's kind of... that's a ve- It's a very special thing. Mm-hmm. Shit, now I gotta watch uh, Progressive and Alternative just to really... I was, like, hoping to skip it, but, like, I gotta at least give it, like, I gotta at least look at it. I get, like, uh, just, I mean, best of luck to you. It's not terrible. Like, I'm being hyperbolic, but it's very much kind of just, it's, it's, if it feel, I feel I could say this about a million different things, Mm -hmm. but goddamn, if it was just something else, (laughs) I don't think people would give it nearly the shit, because Progressive especially is fine. Like, it's just, it's essentially, it's very K-On-esque, but it's also, you know, got Haruko occasionally shows up. But, yeah, Alternative kind of deserves its spot in the weird meteoric pile, because, ugh. It's uh, literally, you will lose money if you aren't just using name recognition as built-in advertising in the single most advertised to generation that has ever existed on the planet earth so you nothing will ever be just called something else ever again everything will be uh i mean this is the story that i wanted to tell but in order to get the funding we had to call it Mm. scrabble universes ah yes uh snorks 4d how dare you how dare you <laughs> i this interview this this discussion is over i i bid you good day sir as i keep telling you in our two conversations so far i don't know what a snork looks like i'm just keeping this dead meme alive because i am morbidly fascinating if holden can defend even one iota of this thing you have such a visceral hatred for i actually watched an episode of snorks on a uh i i kind of a pirate stream themed uh cartoon dumpster <laughs> Where I was just okay, on good, Twitch, good. so I didn't have to worry about YouTube's copy content ID. Of course, of and course. I finally, everyone agreed. When faced with the raw reality of actually having to engage with Snorks, everyone in chat was like, "Yeah, you're right. This sucks. This is this is actually, terrible." No, hold, no, hold on, hold on. I actually do have I do have some tangential exposure to Snorks. It's that one Family Guy bit where it's a joke about the Snork erection. Uh, That's my one great. exposure. Better, better than the show. Funnier than the show. <laughs> More well thought out than the show. Jesus, that's a damning sentence. Uh, this was enlightening. This really helped contextualize a lot of stuff that I had just been seeing on the periphery. And 
uh, will definitely help uh, when Holden blows past something that was in completely and totally uh, consequential to everything that we're talking about going forward. Now you'd be well, like, that's, "Well, here's the thing. I feel like I've I've also I also occasionally sort of like message Holden because I was saying, "Hey, man, you you guys are my heroes," and I was also like, "Hey." Anime's hard. Yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> like, literally something like that, because especially if this is like a tertiary medium, mm-hmm. and especially if it's it's if, if it's something that's in another language and industry people are often super duper tight-lipped about it, it's a little difficult if you don't know the sources. Like, there's a fucking billion TV writers and ex-comic book dudes who are like, I'll sit down. I remember when I made Batman fight Morpheus on the moon. Would you like some Stardust? I've got some in my cave. Was that your best Grant Morrison? Uh, well, no, no, honestly, Grant Morrison sounds a bit like this. So, like, you know, the, the key to Superman is you just got to make him so, like, just like a regular bloke. <laughs> All right, now do Alan Moore. <clears throat> Grant Morrison, my mortal nemesis, or shall do battle with you upon this wizard. It's eighty percent in the in the bridge of the nose. I don't know how he does. <laughs> it's well. Here's the thing. I've actually I've I've actually just done a, a sketch about Alan Moore. Or essentially, I'm I'm currently on like a college course where essentially it's with this local TV network, and they're like, "Do you want to make documentaries?" I was like, "No, I want to make a no budget sketch show that no one will laugh at." And they were like, "Fuck it." And so we've recently done a sketch called um, "For the Moan Who Has Everything," where it's me dressed up in like a an Alan Moore Jesus wig. Uh, and we've named him Barry Moan, and essentially it's just me doing a bunch of sort of, well, when I wrote issue 72 of Captain Miraculous, I remember a kid came up to me and said, I love superhero comics, and then in the next issue, I put him in, and he was getting run down by a bus. It was my proudest (laughs) moment as a writer. (laughs) Wait, can I see that on YouTube? Is that available yet? Uh, I will send it to you at, at some point. This is currently like, but yeah, like it's kind of, I've literally taught my, I've retaught myself Premiere after it. So yeah, like it's kind of, I literally, I have a, technically I have a film degree, though it's more in um, film criticism. But yeah, like it's kind of just like, okay, cool. I can spend the next two months kind of doing random skits that I'm technically, you know, getting a bursary to do and don't have debt. Fuck it. (laughs) All right, cool. Let me gather up everyone I know. (laughs) Let's murder fist this bitch. Oh my God. I do actually have to run out. I'm so sorry. No, that's fine. No, that's that's fine, dude. Like, thank you so much for doing this. And yeah, feel free to hit me up whenever you need assistance with this. Like, goddamn, like one day when I become somewhat of a notable media man, I will I will make my way to the Wizenbrew Pantheon and I will make the obligatory joke about Miyamoto Caves. Oh, my God. I if it was a less hectic week and the schedule wasn't so insane. Oh, dude, don't worry about it. Like, you know, you, like, here's the thing. I'm grateful that I have it. Like, you know, you and Holden are like dudes with wives and lives <sighs> and, you know, actual fucking responsibilities. I'm a 25 year old fucking nobody still figuring out my shit. And I know too much about Japanese cartoons. That's my one contribution to society. Uh, never, I never sell knowing too much about cartoons as a... Uh, <laughs> Short. That is the most important thing anybody can have as a skill. Uh, all right. I'm going to stop recording no worries, and I'll man. send you a uh, MP3. Absolutely. Thank you so much for doing this, Jake. Uh, anytime. I'm too late to give you back. My receipt is gone. And I'm starting to look back at everything that's going wrong. Know how I used to long to hold you in my hands. Such a shame it took six weeks shipping directly from Japan. 
Not gonna lie, you were kawaii, but now your paint job's chipped away. Marie away blues, my plastic wife. Your shining gloss once put my family in strife. For what I owe to you, I swear I could die. All these body pillows I left hanging dry. Oh, darling, we're a mess. Listening to Garuga Mess.